Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I give you praise and glory for all that you cause, for all that you do. The amazing miracle that you brought, you brought me and those that belong to you into your kingdom uh, just constantly blows me away. May I, may I never take that for granted. May I be one of those that we, we will speak on today that, that seek you and your word with all my heart. And uh, thank you that you've given me your Holy Spirit and what you do never fails. And your word tells me that what you started in the believer, you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And I stand on that promise. And uh, that's the hope that I have to continue in the things and doing the things that I do. And I thank you in, in, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Please be seated. As I was, as I was thinking about what I wanted to speak to you about, it finally hit me that I needed to, to really talk to God about what he wanted me to speak to you about. Because I found all kinds of things that I wanted to say. And uh, until, until I settled down and I just went before God and I asked him, what is it that you want me to say? And, and let, me, let me make it as clear as I can before, before the brothers and sisters of Book of Life. And this is, this is what I'm hoping will happen this morning. Uh, we're going to talk about Psalm 119. You know, the Psalms, the Psalms is, is probably the most precious book within, within the 66 books that I have for me. I love the Psalms. There's, there's 100 and, what, 150 chapters in that book. And, and, and dead almost uh, three quarters of the way through. There's Psalm 119. Psalm 119 has 176 verses. If you like the numbers, they're good for me. They help me memorize. They have 176 verses. It's a Hebrew acrostic. Has eight sections, 22 sections with eight verses each. And the amazing part about this is that it takes the letters of the Hebrew alphabet from Aleph to, to Tav. And each section, each eight verse section begins with that letter the alphabet and I tried to find something poetic or something that was close to that and the only thing I could really find was the old English primer or primer whichever word you want to use they used to use when when they first landed here they brought it they brought it over from from the old land into the new land and they needed to teach their their children most all the children were homeschooled you know in a sense and wanting to teach them English, they used this primer. And the way this primer was developed is from the, from the alphabet, A to Z, they would take the first letter and it would come strictly out of the Bible. A was for Adam. And then they would be, begin to give a definition of Adam and they would follow it all the way through to Z. Closest thing I could find, which was pretty cool because it all dealt with God's word. So, in... In Psalm 119, there is probably about eight different terms that we'll, we'll run across through the whole 176 verses, but mainly with the, the 16 verses that we're going to work with in the next two weeks. And those words are law or Torah, holy scriptures, uh, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments, the word, 
ordinances and utterances of God. And all these will refer or go back to meaning God's scriptures or his word. So as we get in there, uh, verse 1, Aleph, starts with, How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Second verse, How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. Now, as we go through these verses, this is helpful for me in how I, I memorize and, and, I study, and I study the word. I'm hoping that it's helpful for you. Most of you probably already do this. But we'll take certain words out of each verse so that we get a better understanding, a better description of what the psalmist is saying in this verse. And we'll start with the word blessed. Where am I at? Did I move around? Pardon me as I, as I go through this, okay? What did I put up? There we go. Um, the word, the word bless is the word baruch in, in the Hebrew. And when it refers to God, it refers to God in a sense of, of praise, the Almighty. In 1 Samuel 25.32, Samuel wrote, Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel. And, and there's that word blessed or in a sense of praise. He said, praised be to Yahweh, the God of Israel. When we use the word blessed concerning man, it's always with a sense of that person, man or woman, being happy or being filled with joy. How blessed is a man. Psalm, Psalm 1, verse 1 says, How blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Right? How happy is that person, that man, that woman, who does not go through life being so concerned with the counsel of the wicked that that's the way they live. You are happy if you don't take that kind of counsel. The word blessed has a sense of, of uh, one that's being favored. Uh, it's, used, it's, it's used a lot in the Psalms and the Gospels. As a matter of fact, if we went to, if we went to, the, to Luke 142, um, of Mary it was said, blessed are you among women. Happy, most favored. Some, some translations use that word. Most favored are you among women. When we look at the Beatitudes in, in uh, Matthew 5, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. I'm going to see if I can find it here for you. Maybe put it up on top. There we go. Did it work? Yeah. I'm, I'm still not a techie. Notice in Matthew 5, 3. The Lord, the Lord said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. He says, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Correct? He said, happy are those, happy are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the peacemakers, Right? Happy are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He says, happy are you, most happy are you, when, when others revile you and persecute you, and they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me, Jesus. I know for most of us, when those things happen, the last thing that comes into mind is that I should be happy about this point. We don't. But he said we're blessed at that point. If it's done 
if we're being reviled, if people are saying things about us because of Yeshua, because of Jesus, you should be happy. Because in that moment, you're being shown this favor from God. These are the, either, either that or what he said is not true. For me in my house, his word is true. And I need to conform more to that. I need to, remember, I need to remind myself more often when those things happen. You know what? This is your doing. I should be happy in that. It's an odd kind of happy, right? But we, sh- we need to understand this is God's word, not ours. Blameless, right? Happier those who follow God who are, are blameless. This word blameless is the word undefiled. In the Old Testament, it, it has, it has a, the, it means just the opposite. It means, it means to be perfect is the way the, the Old Testament rendering is. In the New Testament, it presents a negative side. It uses the, uh, the terms to define it as, as untainted, unstained, un, unsullied is the word. In Hebrews 7.26, this word is used um, in describing the sinlessness of Christ. See if I can bring that up for you. He said, for it is, it is indeed, it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. You notice the word unstained and how it's surrounded with the word holy, innocent, and separated from sinners. The writers in each one of these terms took, took all these other words to fortify that one word. So we are to be this sort of people following after God. In, uh, in, Hebrews, in Hebrews 13, 14, it's used to describe marriage. He said, let the marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled, untainted, unstained, unsullied, right? Without deep mark. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. It is used to contrast the heavenly inheritance with with the early possessions. He said, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you and me. This is, this is that word. In, um, in 1 Peter 1... Did I just... I just did that, didn't I? <laughs> I love being nervous before you, okay, so... The verse says that how, how happy are those whose, whose ways are undefiled. The ones that walk in the law of the Lord. And this word walk means a habitual pattern of living. Self-explanatory, right? It is a way of living that, you, that has become such a habit with you. And we are to be those that have that kind of life walking in God's law, in his scripture, right? 
And the scripture belongs to the Lord. And this word, this word Lord, is, is, is defined as the existing one. Jehovah. We pronounce it Jehovah. In the Hebrew language, there are no J's. They're pronounced Y's. In, um, in the King James, again, just an added touch for me, they help. Uh, the word Jehovah or Jehovah is used over 6,500 times throughout the scriptures. The New American Standard uses it over 6,800 times. Anytime you see the capitalized L-O-R-D, it is that word, Jehovah. It means the existing one, and it is probably the most proper name that we have for God. So we are those... We are those that are to have this habitual way of walking in the scriptures that belong to Jehovah, to Jehovah. We are, we are those in verse 2 that are to be happy. In how we seek or how we observe his testimonies. That word testimonies, again, one of those words that goes back. To the scriptures, the word testimony means we're still on the existing one, aren't we? The word observe, observe is the word natsar. It means to guard, to watch over. It means to keep. It means to preserve. It means to keep secret, to keep close. It even means something that's blockaded. You ever seen a, a blockade in the ocean where they take ships and they, they, they block another, another element, another ship from going anywhere? This is the sense that we have in, in how we seek or how we observe God's word is we keep it so that we can understand what he wants to tell us. The word testimonies is the word adah. Testimony means witness. In, in referring to God, it's always in the plural and always has the meaning of divine testimonies. When we, when we seek God, it means to resort to, to consult. It means to inquire, to seek, to seek of God. Even those that, that, that worship heathen gods use the same word, to seek, to inquire. To seek a deity in prayer and worship. To demand, to seek with a demand, to investigate, to inquire, to practice, to study, to follow. To seek with application. We are, we are those that are most happy who seek after God's word, after his scriptures. We are those that are most happy when we observe, when we guard his word. And we do this with all our heart. So who are the blessed? Who are the undefiled walking in the way? They are the ones who are walking the right way. They're walking toward heaven and happiness, and that's Jesus Christ. They walk toward the straight, the straight gate, the narrow way to eternal life, which is also Jesus Christ. They walk toward the only true way of life and salvation, in which way believers walk by faith, and ultimately that's in Jesus Christ. 
And I have to tell you that those that don't walk in that manner, according to the scriptures, are altogether dead in their sins. But all those who walk in this way are clean, every bit clean. 1 Corinthians 5.14 establishes that for us. He says, for the love of Christ controls us, you and me, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. But for him, for their sake, died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In 1 Corinthians 5, 14 through 17, we just read, this is who we are. Those that are in Christ. We are the ones that are without spot. We are those that are without blemish. We are those that are blameless. We are without fault before the throne of God and in his sight. We may look at each other a little differently, but we shouldn't. We are the ones being washed from our sins and having been washed in our sins by the blood of the Lamb, we're clothed in his, his righteousness and we're made perfect and complete in him. These are also found in the way of, they're found in the way of their duty and they walk in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord. They are blameless before men and they are sincere and upright in the sight of God and upon all accounts, the happiest people the last part of that verse of the scripture says that they they do this with all their heart now the heart refers to the intellect it refers to the the volition where decisions are made let me go back it's the inner part it's the center of all things, the heart of man, the soul, the heart, the mind, the knowledge, the thinking, the reflection, the memory, the inclinations, the resolutions, determinations of the will. They're all made there. It's where the conscience is at. The heart, especially of the moral character, it's a seat of all our appetites. It's a seat of emotions and passions, and it's a seat of courage. This is the heart. And, and that second verse says that this person, this happy person that follows God's scriptures is doing this with all his heart. The word heart in the 176 uh, passages in, in Psalm 119 used 15 times. But the phrase with all their heart is used six times within those 100, 176 passages. And therein lies the attitude of probably full commitment from that person. And let me, give you, let me give you some of those, if I may. That's not up yet, but... In Psalm 119, verse 10, the psalmist said, With my whole heart I seek you. In verse 58, he says, I, I entreat your favor, Lord, with all my heart. Be gracious to me. 
Verse 69, he said, The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. In Psalm, 1, or Psalm 119, 145, he says, With my whole heart I cry. Answer me, Lord, and I will keep your statutes. It says that they observe his testimonies. In Galatians 6, 16 through 18, it says they walk by the Spirit. They walk by the Holy Spirit. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now in verse 3, it says that they do no unrighteousness and they walk in his ways. The scripture has much to say in describing what unrighteousness is. If you're not aware, I'll give you a short one here. In Galatians 5, 19-21, Paul lays down just a few of the unrighteousness that men are capable of. And he says that now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. Not much is left out, but I'm sure some have. There, there, there are others in, in, uh, in, Romans, in Romans 12 that you can find. In verse 4, he says that you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. The NIV states it this way. You have laid down your precepts. that They are to be fully obeyed. As we, read, as we read the scriptures, if you've never considered this, and you may have, and it happens to all of us. It should happen less and less as we consider our walk before God. When we see a principle within the word, when we see a precept, we see, we see a commandment. We see an, an utterance for living. God expects you and me to observe and to follow that commandment. We mustn't lie to each other. We mustn't lie to ourselves. When he lays down the scripture, when he lays down the commandment, when he lays down the utterance, it is meant for us to follow. In the flesh, it's difficult, I know. I mean, think, think of the things that he said. Don't gossip. That's an easy one, right? Don't lie to one another. You think he was just joking? He meant it. And you can think of others that you've read. But when we read it, it, it's a principle for life for us to add into that habitual way of living. We need to respond in faithfulness and follow. We need to cry out to him. He hasn't left you barren inside. You have the ability to follow. He's, for those that you belong to him, he's given you his Holy Spirit. He lives inside us, he abides, and he guides us. So we have the abilities to say no, to turn around, 
to not head in that direction, to not say those words. We are told in, in the New Testament that we are to bring every, every thought, every word, into captivity to Jesus Christ. Allow him, through his power, and it can be done. Okay, so he says, you have commanded your precepts to be judged diligently. God has commanded. And it means to lay charge upon. It means to give charge unto, to give charge over, to appoint, to charge, to commission, to command, to appoint, to ordain. His principles are divine. That's what he's done. His precepts, again, we're back to those terms. His word, his scriptures. I think you all get the picture there. We are to keep them diligently. And the word, the word means muchness. I don't use that word much. Muchness. It has, it has the meaning of force. It has the meaning of abundance. And it means exceedingly. We are to keep, fully keep his word. We are to fully have charge of his word. We are to fully guard. We are to keep watch over his word. And we are to fully wait upon him. In verse 5 it says that, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Where am I at? Verse 7? I'm ahead of the game. There we go. And this is my prayer, that my walk, my habitual way of living this life 24-7, that my breathing in and my breathing out, my, my coming to know God, understanding that every breath that I have, he's given to me, that I might fully keep his commandments. In verse 6 says, that I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. The word ashamed means to be put to shame, to be disconcerted, to be disappointed. But I think it means just a little bit more than that act of blushing, a little bit of embarrassment. I think we've all probably experienced in our lives at least once shame. It's not a good feeling. It's not a happy time that you're going through when you're feeling shame for whatever you've done, whatever you've said whatever you thought. I've had those moments and I've brought them before God and shame is real. And bringing it before him, he can clear things up for you and remove that quickly. His commandments. There are commandments of man. We all know those. Uh, don't do this. Don't do that, right? Don't steal. What? Well, commandment of God. Don't steal. Uh, uh, don't speed in a, in a school zone. Commandment of man, right? You can think of many. Commandments of God should be easier. Don't have any other gods except for him. Don't steal. Don't covet. Don't be jealous, right? All those things. We are, we are to be those that fix our eyes upon following God's commandments fully. 
In verse 7, he says, I will keep your statutes. And he says, do not utterly forsake me. I will praise you. The, the, the phrase is, I will give thanks. And he says, I'll do it with an upright heart. It means straightness. It means evenness when, it, when, it, when it, uh, it's bearing into moral implications. It means rightness. It means that you and I, when we, when we do things, we, we're doing them because we know it's right. And when we give, we know because it's, it's, it's due. We have to do it that way. His righteous rules, his judgment, his, his, his ordinances, these are acts of deciding of case. They're used in courts and seats of judgment, this righteousness. The process, the procedure of litigation before judges. Uh, cases presented before judgment. Uh, when they declare sentences, decisions for judgment. Even when, when executions are done. The righteous rules are, are to be in place. He says, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake we are to keep guard. You and I are to observe his, his law, his statutes, his ordinances, his precepts, his commandments, his utterances, his principles. We are to give heed to them. To forsake means, and uh, where he says, don't utterly forsake me. I think we know, we know utterly, muchness, force, abundance, exceedingly. He says, with great force, God, do not depart from me. With great force, don't leave me behind. Don't leave me. Don't leave me alone. Don't abandon me. Don't forsake me. Don't neglect me. Interestingly, the, another phrase they use is do not apostatize me. And he says, don't, don't cut me loose. Don't set me free. Don't let me go and don't desert me. Let me leave you with this. Chuck Swindoll wrote in his, in his book, uh, Quest for Character, uh, heading uh, characters is what it's called. He says, most of us don't realize that characters, caricatures, the ludicrous and distorted mental pictures that folks have of church-going, Bible-toting saints, not so much Bible-toting anymore, carry our iPads and our phones, he says, we represent, we represent a host of spooky and hard-to-understand concepts. We, we refer to being born again even though we reject reincarnation. It's strange to the uninitiated. We talk out loud to a person that we cannot see, and we commit our entire future to one we've never met because a book we believe he wrote, though we didn't see him do it, tells us that we should. And that's quite a dose for some to swallow. We say, to, we say we are followers of Christ, but then there are a few times every year that we act like the devil. We claim to be citizens of heaven, but we walk around the earth. We talk about love and forgiveness, purity and compassion, but we murder with our mouths, we lust with our eyes, and we ignore with our ears. You and I understand those contrasts because, and I'm speaking of believers, because we have been carefully instructed and we have learned about the carnal spiritual battle. 
So we leave room for such contradictions. But the guy outside doesn't. He mentally constructs a distorted conglomeration of things that are a mixture of exaggeration, confusion, a distorted confusion, in fact. The world sees us rip off one another and pictures us with two faces and a forked tongue. In a weak and hurried moment, we make a couple of stupid statements so an empty head is added to the caricature. I don't know how many people have told me that a major battle before coming to coming, becoming a Christian was the fear of having to commit intellectual suicide. We nod in agreement, right? It is better to give than to receive. And then spend our days grabbing and grasping. So our hands are oversized and our eyes are bulging with greed. How rare are the authentic models of Christian character? Our worry list is long enough though we say he takes our burdens. Our patience with the waitress is short, even though she saw us pray. Our driving is often somewhat between irritating and thoughtlessness and rank lawlessness, even though the bumper sticker identifies us as people who model the gospel message. Color us red, he says. Rather than that, he says, give us mask. No, better still, make us invisible. Caricatures immediately are false freaks, extreme representations, but they cause formidable hang-ups when the subject of Christianity is brought up. The cross is supposed to be offensive, remember, not the Christian. The death and resurrection of Christ have sufficient power to penetrate like a double-edged razor. Like it or not, fake models dull the edge. The answer is not to try really hard to be perfect, that's a waste of time, or to re- or try to peel off the Jesus as Lord sticker. That's a cop out. Or to keep apologizing. That's a guilt trip. So that all caricatures, caricatures might be erased. <clears throat> Pardon me. Face it. Some folks wouldn't change their erroneous ideas about Christians. Even if every one of us were suddenly more devoted than John the Baptist. Furthermore. The life of faith and our deeply significant convictions are not suspect. Because the majority in our day choose to walk by sight and mock those who don't. Then what's the point? You can't change the model of other Christians, and you can't change the mind of other non-Christians, but you can do something about the lack of character inside your own skin. The presence of caricatures doesn't matter nearly so much as the absence of character. Philippians 3.10 states in the Amplified Bible, that I may know him that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and clearly. The question for us is, what is ours? Let's stand and pray. Father, help us to be those that follow you fully with all our hearts. Help us to be those that understand that we are blessed when we do so. Help us to understand that we who belong to you, you have made us blameless, undefiled. Help us to get away from the caricatures that have been painted. Help us to seek you 
Help us to grow deeper in, in this walk. And may our habits be pictures of your principles that you set down for us to live by. Help us to cry out to you with hearts that are hurting, with minds that need fixing, with habits that need to be changed. Help us, Lord, to look deeply into Jesus who saved us. Help us to remember that you weren't messing around with what you laid down for us to follow. And there's no sidestepping what you've called us to be. Help us to remember that you have given us your Holy Spirit to live, to abide, and to guide us, to discover who you are, to be able to decide and make the right choices in what we say, in what we do, and what we think. Always remembering that we had a Savior whose body was broken and who shed blood for us. Help us to remember that this day, Lord. And as we celebrate communion, may we remember that Yeshua's body was broken for us, for our rebelliousness, for our sinfulness, for all those, those acts of unrighteousness that were mentioned in Galatians, because that's who we were. And help us to remember that, that he, shed, he shed blood so that our sin would be forever taken away and we would have entrance into the kingdom of God. I know we have issues with our flesh because sin still resides there. But you have given us your Holy Spirit and we can cry out to you and we can receive forgiveness daily for some of us hourly and others minute by minute we cry out to you for forgiveness.